to church and we listen to preaching because you just dot, dot, dot kind of should. And I think that that's an attitude I slipped into. It's an attitude that Christians can really slip into. It's, it's part of maybe the construct that you may have grown up with. And so I think the task today that, that I want to really look at and accomplish is I hope to build out a bigger vision of what preaching is and why we can value it. Because whenever we see the movement of God happen, like we are going to see here in Acts, there's a lot of power that happens through preaching itself, through preaching, okay? And so Peter stands up after all this power is poured out in the Spirit, and a and hundred disciples speak in different languages. They speak in tongues to the people of Jerusalem. Peter gives up to explain what's taken place at that point in time. And this is the first sermon of the Jesus movement, the first sermon of the entire Jesus movement. This is Peter's first sermon he's ever preached. Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. Back uh, when Jesus called him three years prior, uh, Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, I'm going to make you fisher of men. I mean, you're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Okay, and this is when that first starts to come true. This is when Peter casts out his first net of the gospel to fish for men and women, okay? And so we're just going to start by reading it together, okay? It's a, it's a good, uh, I think Peter was a long preacher himself. It's a good chunk of scripture. It's going to take a few minutes. But I want us just to encounter it for what it really is here that, that Luke records for us, okay? And it starts in Acts chapter 2. Pick it up with me in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed him, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This speaking in tongues was happening, and people were saying, those people are drunk. They're acting crazy. Dave actually elaborated on that a lot last week, and really, really sweet connections between being drunk, actually, and uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. They look very similar, apparently. Um, Crazy, right? Anyways, uh, and, but Peter's like, hey, this can't be happening because um, mimosas and Bloody Marys haven't been invented yet, okay? Uh, this can't be true. And so he says, uh, I'm going to explain this to you. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." 
Brothers, I say, uh, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's explaining what's going on. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Then his conclusion, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then the result. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized for every one of you, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's a pretty good catch, right? Way to go, Peter the fisherman. The fisher of men now. 3,000 people were added to the Jesus movement that day. But what actually was this sermon? What actually is it? How can we look at defining it? And to do that, I want to unpack a little term that was right there at the end. In verse 40, it says, and with many other words, he bore witness. He bore witness. The, the, the verb uh, witness in the Greek is martero, this is actually where we get our uh, word martyr today, because, uh, and we talk about these are the, the martyrs who were killed for their faith. Uh, we use the word mart- martyr because um, they were witnessing to the fact that Jesus was Lord over everything, and so they were killed. They were witnessing, they were martyroing, and now they're martyrs. Um, this is a kind of a beefed up version of that witness verb. Martyrowing happens all over the New Testament. It's in there hundreds of times. This, this verb right here is a, a beefed up version of it. Dia martyr, oh my. And you know it's a big deal because it ends with oh my, right? But dia martyr, oh my, only occurs 15 times and 10 times Luke uses it, okay? And the scholars have debated, like, what is this beefed up word? Like, we can't really uh, figure it out because Luke's the primary user of it. But there's a general consensus that the definition is to exert with authority in matters of extraordinary importance, frequently with reference to higher powers and suggestion of peril. Now, that's exactly what Peter's doing here, right? We might even look at Peter's sermon and be like, hey, man, you're being a little bit heavy-handed looking at these people and saying that they crucified Jesus. Didn't the Romans do that, actually? But this is dia marteromai. It's of utmost importance. It's authority in matters of extraordinary importance is what's happening here. And power accompanies it. 3,000 people are added to the Jesus movement that day. There's power accompanied with it. 
And I want to give you guys credit because I think that you guys are here, right? I don't even think that. You guys are here. <laughs> you guys are here on some level, even if it is just the, the preaching is important because you just kind of should go listen to a sermon. You guys are here. This is a very countercultural thing to do. Uh, 90% of the United States believes in God. 25% of that 90% attends church. You guys are the weird ones, but in reality, it's really weird for Christians not to go to church, right? It's really weird. So I want to give you guys credit. Don't experience this as a huge heavy-handedness against you guys today. That's why I want you to take notes. Take this list down and give it to one of your Christian friends that doesn't go to church, because they're weird. They're the weird ones, not you guys. This is something me and my wife say to each other. We say, are we the crazy ones, or is that person the crazy one? Anyways. Um, but preaching, we see it here in Acts, is the primary method that the Holy Spirit witnesses. Or you could say it like this. Preaching is the primary way that God's kingdom goes into the world. And we can take a, a quick uh, survey of Acts to see that that's true. In Acts chapter 5, says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is when the Jesus movement is exploding. They're preaching every single day. Acts 6.2, the disciples conclude, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. There's a service opportunity, and the disciples are like, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. We should really focus on this preaching because that's where the power of God is primarily working here. So we're going to continue to do that and appoint other people to do it. In Acts 8, they were scattered. Uh, the, there was a huge persecution in Jerusalem, and they were scattered to, the, to all of the countryside. And it says in Acts 8, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Acts 8.25, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Acts 8.40, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And then Peter says this to the Gentiles. He said, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And so that's only the first half of the book of Acts. And through the rest of the book of Acts, what you see is you see Paul and his companions that go to a city, they preach the gospel, they create a church, and they go on to another city. And in his letters uh, back to those churches that he planted, he actually shows how he instated people to continue preaching the word of the Lord each and every week at least, both to the, the believers and publicly to the city. Throughout all of church history, um, the church has been a preaching church. The great theologians that we read nowadays, um, you know what they were engaged in week in and week out? Preaching. If you're, if you're reading a theologian, you're reading a preacher. They were all preaching. And this is how the, the power of God, the kingdom of God has come to the earth for 2,000 years now. Um, and so if, if that's true, we should be able to have examples of that today. Maybe you could, you've thought of some in your own life uh, where you can say, yeah, I sat under preaching at one point and it changed me. It was powerful. And uh, at this point, I'd like to call a witness to the stand. Uh, young Ben has agreed uh, to witness to us about the power of preaching in his own life. We're doing this each and every week. We're calling a witness uh, to the stand. Give him a round of applause. There you go. So yeah, feel free to take a seat or stay oh, thank standing, you. whichever you want. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Good to see you. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us it's today. kind of weird 
not being back there. I know, right? Yeah, it's a little bit scarier from up here. Yeah. It's okay. Well, so uh, witness to us. Uh, what, what have you experienced? Um, so I think uh, I've been going to church my whole life, and um, I remember just, you know, as a Christian, I guess it was normal for me to go to church. Um, and I've been to um, many, many um, church services, heard lots of sermons. Um, but it wasn't until uh, my senior year of high school that I finally, something clicked. Um, and it was actually during a D-Now. Do you guys know what a D-Now is? It's like a discipleship now, I think that's what it refers to. It's like a lock-in, you know, church camp sort of oh, type okay. of thing. But anyways, uh, they had a, uh, a special speaker at, uh, named Chris Brooks, and he, um, he was kind of talking through about the, um, the, the, the parables of prodigal son. And uh, I think it was that first time when I first realized um, through the sermon that, like, um, that um, Jesus' love um, was offered to us first, um, that it wasn't something that we had to, that I had to um, work to get. Um, and, yeah, it was, just a, it was just like a very noticeable, um, through the sermon, um, something that I never really, um, I'm pretty sure I heard it before through other sermons, but it was just that moment through that sermon, through that, through that, uh, through that um, Chris Brooks, the pastor that I finally understood the gospel. Wow, that's powerful. Well, thanks, young Ben. Yeah. Uh, give me a round of applause. Thanks for coming up here, man. Powerful witnessing. Well, like I said, we're doing this each and every week. Next week, we're actually uh, going to be talking about the power of witness through repentance and baptism. And so if that's part of your story, that you've experienced the power of God powerfully through repentance and baptism, maybe you can even feel it in your heart right now like, oh, I have a story. I would invite you to reach out to Dave and I so that you can witness next Sunday just like that. Not very threatening. Just get up here, sit on a stool, tell your story, okay? But I, I say all of, this to, all of this to say that examination of Peter's sermon here, the power that came through it, through all of the book of Acts, through all of history, and young Ben's life, and probably your guys' own lives, I say all of this to stress the importance that the primary way the Holy Spirit moves in this world to bring about the mission of God is through preaching. It's through preaching. Now, I'll, I'll give a qualifier here. That's not the only way. The Holy Spirit can, can work through reading a book of a Christian author. It can, it can work through listening to a sermon audio in places. It can, it can work through other methods. It can work through joining a small group, you know. But these are really just glimpses as to the power that preaching can really fully bring about here on this earth. These are really glimpses of it. And, and we believe this uh, primarily because Paul, when he left a church to go start another one, he wrote back to Timothy and he said, Timothy, be sure not to neglect the preaching of the word because when Jesus' followers, when they lack preaching and sound doctrine in their lives, what happens is they become ships that are tossed to and fro by the waves of the ocean and been blown about. They're aimless, they're directionless, they're insecure, they're full of anxiety. Preaching has been the method that God has decided to use in order 
to keep his people grounded in his gospel message, all right? Um, Tim, I'm going to skip forward to that 1 Corinthians slide. I'm going to skip a slide here. I'm going to share this at this point here. Why? Like, isn't this self-serving at best? Oh, you can really read that. Isn't this self-serving at best? I mean, I'm the preacher up here telling you that, that this is the primary way that God's going to bring his kingdom to earth. And to answer that, I don't know exactly why. And, and probably one of the greatest preachers of all time, the Apostle Paul, he didn't know why either. And he wrote this. I'll read it to you guys because you probably can't read it. Okay. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So why? We're not quite sure. But for some reason, it's pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the gospel, to save those who believe. This has happened for 2,000 years. And so I'm not up here on a power trip. I'm, I'm up here just as curious as you are. Why? Because it seems to have pleased God to work this way, okay? And today what we're gonna do then, if it's pleased God to work this way, we're gonna ask uh, three questions. What is preaching? Let's define it, okay? What is preaching? The second thing we're gonna, we're gonna do is we're gonna give ourselves some handles on, on how to evaluate preaching. How can you evaluate me? How can you evaluate Dave? How can you evaluate anybody else that preaches to you? We're gonna give you some handles for that. And then third, how can you participate with preaching? How can you participate with preaching? Those are going to be the three things that we focus on today, okay? All right, so the first thing we want to do is, what is preaching? We're going to look at Peter's sermon to do that, and uh, we actually, there's a bird up there. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's remarkable. Just wants to learn, just wants to experience the power of God, you know? Heard there's preaching happening. All right, that's remarkable. Okay, ah, Okay, come on back to me, okay? What is preaching? (laughs) What is preaching? What is preaching? This is what happens uh, when we actually seek to define the things that we experience often, is we actually substitute actions for definitions. So for example, what does it mean to be a friend? What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a son? What does it mean to be a daughter? What does it mean to be a spouse? What does it mean to be a mother? you probably try to answer that question with something that you do. So for example, being a father means that, that you clothe, uh, you feed, and you, um, you clothe, feed, and bathe your children, right? But in reality, what it means to be a father goes much deeper. It means that, that you love them to a point that you'll sacrifice anything in your own life so that they can flourish in the world. That's, what it, that's a better definition of what it means to be a father. And, and I think preaching uh, has a more robust definition than just the pastor gets up there and tells us about what he learned that, that week. It's, it's much more robust than that, and we can look at Peter's sermon to help us answer that, okay? And so uh, preaching is uh, three different things that when they come together, you have preaching, okay? The first one, and these are actually bigger words, but you guys are in Seattle, and uh, this is the highest educated city in the, in the United States. So I think you guys can handle words, okay? Big words even. Um, so uh, these are big words. The first one is preaching is expository. Preaching is expository. That's a big word. Um, what does that mean? 
Preaching exposits something else. Preaching, uh, another way to say exposit is to explain something else. Uh, Preaching explains or expounds upon something else. Preaching draws something else out of something that's already there. Preaching expounds on something. This is what Peter is doing. Preaching expounds on the word of God. That's what preaching does. Look what Peter does here. He has a conclusion that, uh, that he arrives to only after expounding upon the scriptures. In Joel chapter, he starts with Joel chapter two. He says that, oh, the Holy Spirit's being poured out. This is what's happening. Let me expound on Joel chapter two so that you can know this is what's happening. And then he's like, and Jesus is pouring this out. So what you have to understand, we have to expound upon Psalm 16. Because Psalm 16 here in his sermon, he uses it to show that Jesus is no longer dead. He's been raised from the dead. And Jesus has been exalted at the right hand. And in order to show that, I have to expound upon Psalm 110 that shows that he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Peter is an expounder of the scriptures. That's what preaching is. Preaching starts with the scriptures and it expounds upon them. That's expository, okay? The second thing is preaching is Christological meaning preaching expounds upon the scriptures and uses them to point to Jesus. Preaching is profoundly Christological. Um, and, and so we see Peter doing this as well. He talks about how uh, Joel 2, Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110 all point to Jesus' activity of pouring the Holy Spirit out on the disciples that day. Christological. Now this is kind of... Uh, This is pretty revolutionary, actually, for Peter to do because these scriptures have existed uh, for a thousand years before Peter shows up on the scene. These psalms are a thousand years old, and Peter comes up and he's like, yeah, you know the psalms that you guys have? Those are about Jesus. (laughs) How can he do that? Well, he can do that because Jesus gave him the permission to, and Jesus gave him the authority to. Let's jump to uh, Luke 24 now, Tim. This is what Jesus said in Luke 24. It says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus, after he's been raised from the dead and before he ascends to the Father. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This was Jewish shorthand of saying all of the Holy Scriptures. Actually, each one of the, the Old, Te- Old Testament books was on a separate scroll. And, and, and they were in sections that were called, they, this group of scrolls was the law, this group of souls was the, or scrolls was the, the prophets, and this group was the Psalms. And so this is Jesus' shorthand of saying all of the Hebrew Holy Scriptures. And then he says this, Then he opened up their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Thus it is written. I've read this, those, the Old Testament. That's not written anywhere in there. That's not written in there. Jesus is using this as a summary statement of the entire Old Testament is about that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. 
This is a summary statement of what the Old Testament is about. And that's why Peter can, can go forward and he can preach about Jesus from these Old Testament texts. This is why we preach the way we do here at Sedaris. We walk through books of the Bible. We point to how they're really about Jesus. Um, if you were here last summer, we did a whole summer in the Psalms, and we did exactly what Peter is doing here with the Psalms. We're pointing to how the Psalms are all about Jesus, about how he should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance for forgiveness of sins should be preached starting in Jerusalem to the end of the world. That's why we preach in the Bible here. And that's why we always go to Jesus at Sedaris Church. All right, so it's expository, it's Christological. The third thing that preaching is, is heraldic. Heraldic, heraldic. Um, and we don't have a really a conception of this word anymore, but back in the day, this is what happened. There is a role, and it was called herald. You were a herald if you went before the king and you got clear, the king told you his stances, his intentions for his kingdom, his activities, and his declarations. The king told you all of these things, and then it was your job to go around from town to town to town to town and regurgitate it. That's what a herald did. That's all that a herald did. It's not that bad of a job, right? You get to travel a lot, see the countryside a little bit. But this is what heralds did. Nowadays, we don't have that anymore because someone can look into a camera and say, we're no longer in the Iran deal, and it just goes into your living room, right? Right? So, so that, nothing political is meant by that statement. You, you, I feel like you guys are on tax by that. Anyways, uh, <laughs> that's just to show that heralding, we don't need it anymore because we have TVs and we have cameras. Okay, but this is actually what Peter's primarily doing. He's being a herald. Yes, he's talking about Jesus, but if you look at the verbs that he's using, they're all really being ascribed to God. Oh, this is still up here. That's, sorry if that was distracting to you. Okay, they're really being ascribed to God. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by who? By God with mighty works and wonders. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? Of God. Verse 24, God raised him up. And again in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up. Verse 33, being, being therefore exalted for at the right hand of God, God has exalted him, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. God gave the Spirit to Jesus. And then finally, in his conclusion, he's heralding. Verse 36, let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Heralding, heralding. And when these three things come together, exposition, I guess you could say Christological exposition that heralds the intentions, the purposes, the activities of God, something special happens. You get a re-revelation of the word of God itself. It's not a new revelation that's never been, been revealed before, but it's a re-revelation of the scripture of God, and it comes with power. It's effectual. It creates an environment where the Holy Spirit gets poured out on both the, the preacher and the listeners, and they have the word of God re-revealed to them in a way that young Ben was talking about. I finally understood the love of God because it was re-revealed through preaching. Now, there's a couple implications that come when we understand preaching this way, okay? 
First, um, this can only happen if churches are faithful to the scriptures, if they view the scriptures as fully authoritative for life. This is the only way it can happen because if you say that these aren't, if some of these you can leave behind and some of them you can take and we're not really sure quite which ones, what are you re-revealing? You lose the foundation from what we're trying to re-reveal to the world. The power of God is in these. It is life. It is power. The proof is really in the pudding on this one. Um, In the 20th century, Mainline denomination after mainline denomination decided to chuck the authority of the scriptures, kind of shrug their shoulders at the parts that are hard to believe in in order to make it more digestible for people, in order to make it more attractive so that they could get people to come to church. But what happened when they they chucked the scriptures? They lost the power of re-revelation. And you know where these, these denominations are right now? They're all over our city. There's a couple handfuls of old people getting together every Sunday and they're dying off one by one. They've lost the power of re-revelation. That's why we submit to the word above all else here at Sedaris. Even if things start going terribly and we experience a mass exodus from this church, we will still sit under this because this is our only hope for the gospel of the world to change it, for the gospel to change the world, okay? So that's the first implication. The second implication is that preaching, you can only experience preaching in person because it creates an environment where the Holy Spirit works between preacher and congregation. You can only experience preaching in person. Um, We believe this so strongly that if if you're traveling and out of town or you're on vacation, we would say that if if it came down to it and you could either catch up on our podcast, our sermon from the Sunday, or go to a Bible-believing, preaching church. We'd say go to that church 10 times out of 10. They're everywhere, actually. These churches are actually, they're all over. They're in all major cities. You can find them. Yes, it takes a little bit of work, but we would say, hey, go sit underneath the preached word of God so that you may experience the power of God through preaching, just like young Ben talked about. It's so important. Now, of course, you you can do both. I just kind of put it in an either-or to highlight to you how strongly we feel about this. Sitting underneath the preached word is vastly more important than listening to it. Now, that's not to say that you you can't experience the the Holy Spirit's witness through listening to sermons. No, but it just can't be in the same way. Um, If you, last week, we probably had the most spirit-filled service that I had experienced here at Sedaris Church. And you're not going to get it from the sermon podcast. Like that, that service was over and I looked at the podcast online and it was an hour and four minutes long. And I was like, what? That was an hour and four minutes long? That's crazy. Some of you are jaded to that maybe. I don't know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it felt like half an hour, you know? Because there's an experience of the Holy Spirit that takes place there, okay? And the third implication goes like this. Preachers don't get in the way of the word of God when they're faithful to how preaching should be done. They're actually gravely needed. These people in Peter's text, they wouldn't have heard the gospel of God had he not stepped up and expounded the scriptures. Um, I was preparing for my sermon this week and someone asked me, hey, what are you preaching on? Don't worry, they're not connected to Sedaris. And, and I said, I'm preaching on sermon, uh, Peter's sermon in, in Pentecost. And he said, oh, what you should do is you should just memorize the sermon, get up there, speak it, and then sit back down, you know, because that's what you should do. And I was like, well, 
there's actually a lot in here that we have to understand. I want to expound on this a little bit more, but they're like, no, 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 just let the word of God speak for itself. And there's two assumptions there. One I love, one I think is a little bit faulty, and they go like this. The first one that I love is, hey, these scriptures have power in them. Let them speak for themselves. Absolutely. But the second one was, hey, if you try to expound too much on that thing, you're probably just going to get in the way of it. And, and it's probably not going to be as good as if you just would speak the word and sit back down. Which is kind of insulting for a pastor to hear. Sometimes people are unknowingly insulting to preachers, but that's okay. You know, I took it with grace and I grinned and I nodded. It's usually what I do and I feel insulted. Anyways, working on it. I'm working on it. Um, no, but, but they're vastly needed. Had Peter not, not stepped up, these 3,000 souls would not have experienced the gospel and the power that they did. All right? So that's the third implication here, okay? So that's why we preach the way that we do here at Sedaris. That's what preaching is. That's what we try to lean into. Now I'm going to give you guys some handles for how can you evaluate preaching, not only here, but anywhere that you go. How can you know if the Holy Spirit is working through it? That's really what we want to know, right? How can we know if the Holy Spirit is working through preaching? All right, so I have a checklist for you uh, of five things, a five checklist thing uh, that you should look for and you should ask each one of these things when you listen to preaching, okay? Um, The first one is, is it in line with the definition of preaching with what we've been talking about? Is it in line with the definition of preaching? Is Is it expository, Christological, heraldic, Is it seeking at creating re-revelation under these scriptures that it is submitting to? That's the first thing. For it to be in line with the Holy Spirit, it has to be in line with scripture and the definition of preaching. Two, if preaching is in line with the Holy Spirit, the preacher's life will be full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The preacher's life will be full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is something that is parson, part and parcel with what it means to be a, a, a preacher and a pastor, that you guys are completely um, free to scrutinize our lives and look at it and be like, is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? These are the fruits of the Spirit outlined in Galatians 5, and we submit ourselves to that scripture just like any other scripture. Are the fruits of the Spirit present in that person's life? Because honestly, a lot of us can maybe even think of some moral failings of big preachers that have preached a lot and they did have mass fallings, but for whatever reason, the fruits of the Spirit ceased to be in their life and the Holy Spirit no longer was working through their preaching. This is something we believe in very, very strongly here at Sedaris as well. Um, We're not judged. Uh, Our sermons shouldn't be judged by how many people like it. They shouldn't be judged by... um, how many people are converted either, but the single hour of preaching that we do should be judged by how we live the other 167 hours of our week. And you guys are open to ask those questions of us. That's that's what we do as leaders. It's really scary, Um, but it's good for us, and that's why we do it. we asked Ben Thompson to come up here. I told him I'd talk about him a little bit uh, a couple months ago. And we knew that he'd be expository. We knew he'd be Christological. We knew he would herald God faithfully. But we also just saw the fruits of the Spirit all over his life and all over the, wife, the, the, the life of his wife. It's like they stood up on stage and people just, threw, a crowd threw fruit at these guys. They're great. And so we've asked him, we've invited him to come and preach before us again because the fruit is so present in his life. You can't help but just 
take a piece from his life and eat it yourself, you know? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All right, so that's the second thing. The third thing, it will call out personal sin. This is a two-parter. 3A, if preaching is by the Spirit, it will call out personal sin. This is what happens in Peter's sermon right here. He says this in verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then down in verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that's Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. For preaching to be in line with the Holy Spirit, it convicts of personal sin. So this is what Peter does, and, and this is primarily because this is how this is the role of the Holy Spirit in the world. And so if, if he is working through preaching, this is what is going to accompany it. That's actually back in, in John 16. I'm not going to throw it up there on the slide, but it, it, it says, actually, let's throw it up there, Tim. Sorry, man. <clears throat> Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking at the Last Supper. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning uh, sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world stands condemned. Faithful preaching to the Holy Spirit looks at the audience and it says, you are sinners. The preacher can say that because he says it to himself every day throughout the week. You are sinners. The righteousness that you pursue is faulty at best and judgment is coming. Faithful preaching points to personal sin. Faithful preaching that's uh, faithful to the Holy Spirit, 3B, also calls out societal sin. Deeply societal sin. Peter does this. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness, dia martyr, oh my, and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The generation is always crooked. It's not just the millennials. It's not just the Gen Xers. It's not just the baby boomers. It's not just the silent generation. It's every generation is a crooked generation all the way back to Peter's generation. And the reasoning goes like this. Our society is full of individual sinners. It's full of individual rebels to God. And those individual rebels get together and they create institutionalized rebellion that flows down the streets of our city in injustice and in murder and in perversion. Faithful preaching calls out this societal sin. It's bold and not afraid to do it. All right, that's three. Fourth item on the checklist, faithful preaching, preaching that's faithful to the Holy Spirit. I like this one. It will provide comfort for the repentant. Comfort for the repentant. You see what happens here? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? That's how they respond. You see, Peter had done number three on the checklist and he had torn their chest open and their hearts were bare. They were cut to the heart. But faithful preaching only wounds so that it can apply the healing salve of the Holy Spirit into the heart. Faithful preaching wounds, yes, and convicting of personal sin, personal rebellion. 
heals absolutely for the repentant. Peter responds to their panic. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the forgiveness of your murder of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do you know you've been forgiven? Because God will be in relationship with you again. You'll experience him. All right. Number five on the checklist. Uh, if If preaching is faithful to the Holy Spirit, people will the people that God is calling to himself will respond in faith. Uh, Peter uh, had 3,000 people who God had called respond to him in faith that day, but there's also another side to this coin. Maybe it nullifies the whole point, but I don't think so. 5B, if, if preaching is faithful by the Holy Spirit, people will flee the gospel message. People will flee. A conservative estimate of how many people were in Jerusalem for this feast of Pentecost is about 200,000 people. I mean, this whole speaking in tongue thing happens at 9 a.m. in the morning. Um, it, I mean, rumors travel quick. It's something that crazy into a city. And then Peter and the disciples probably preached all day about it. I mean, he probably preached to tens of, thou- or, yeah, tens of thousands of people, but only 3,000 people are able to respond in faith, okay? Some people flee the gospel. Dave, if you were here last week, uh, he talked about the first great awakening in the 1730s in America, which happened to a sleepy little town in in Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, This is where over the course of a year through the preaching of Jonathan Edwards, um, 300 of the 1,500 people became Christians, 20%. What about the other 1,200? They, without a doubt, came into contact with this preaching, but they decided not to respond to it. That uh, first great awakening quickly spread to the other side of the pond, you could say, in England, and there was a preacher in London named Charles Wesley. Uh, George Whitefield and Charles Wesley were both there. Um, But Charles Wesley, upon his death, somebody um, took the liberty to publish his personal journals for us. And Charles Wesley, each and every week, he preached to a couple thousand people um, until later in the Great Awakening. Then he started preaching to tens of thousands of people every week. He'd go out to a field, put a pulpit down, and just start preaching. And uh, he wrote a couple sentences about each day. I'm going to share some of those excerpts to you that show how this, uh, this checklist point of five of people accept and reject the gospel when, the, when uh, the Holy Spirit faithfully preaches through men. Here it is, and women. Sunday, May 27th, 1739. Still, Mr. Claggett opposed my preaching. He talks about a lot of individual people, even though he's preaching to thousands of people. I find that fascinating. He just wrote a couple sentences each day. Still, Mr. Claggett opposed my preaching. I went to church where I preached the new birth. We returned singing. Mr. Claggett still more violent. I told him he was doing the devil's work. Between jest and earnest, he struck me. Raged exceedingly to see the people come flocking to the word. God gave me utterance to make known the mystery of the gospel to four or five hundred listening souls. I read uh, to the church my account of the prophetess. All, this is Sunday, June 10th. All were shocked, but poor J. Bray. He now appeared and strongly withstood me and vindicated that Jezebel. I gave no place to him. My natural temper was kept down, and I changed into a passionate concern for him, which I expressed in prayers and tears. 
All besides him were melted down. I kissed him and testified my love, but could make no impression. I preached uh, Sunday, July 1st. I preached my sermon on justification before the university with great boldness. All were very attentive. One could not help but weep. That night I received power to expound. Several gownsmen were present, some were, were, were present, some mocked. Friday, August 10th, I'm continually tempted to leave off preaching and hide, my, and hide myself like Jay Hutchins. I should then be freer from temptation and at leisure to attend my own improvement. Sunday, August 12th, I received power, great power, to explain the Good Samaritan. I convinced the multitudes at the common from the Bible verse, such were some of you, but you are washed clean. And before the day was past, I felt my own sinfulness so great that I wished I had never been born. Monday, August 20th, I took a walk with Mr. Seward, whose eyes it has pleased the Lord to open, to see he would have all men to be saved. His wife, who refuses to see me, is miserably bigoted against that particular scheme. Sunday, September 2nd, there is supposed to be above 4,000 at the Bowling Green. My subject was, to you and your children is the promise made. Many experienced the great power of truth. I preached also at Rose Green to nearly 5,000 souls upon God so loved the world. They heard me patiently, some gladly. I was quite spent by the time I got to Weaver's Hall to preach. The scoffers gave me new life, though, and for two more hours I preached the law. Thursday, May 15th, I preached from Romans 8, 33 through 34. Great power accompanied the word, but greater still while I exhorted the church to wait for the promise of God the Father. Many cried out in the birth pangs. After a long and violent struggle, Eleanor Tubbs testified that God had now showed her her heart and broke it in pieces and bound it up again. Eleanor Tubbs. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is the power of preaching. People accept it. People reject it. There's always people on both sides of the Spirit's work in this world. And you may have, have uh, if you're sharper, you, you may realize right now that, hey, Ryan, you actually haven't preached much to, uh, much to us then by your definition of preaching. And, and you're right. I'm really just teaching you what preaching is right now because this is what preaching is. Preaching is you are sinners and you're alienated from God. You've sought your own satisfaction here in this world in a lot of twisted ways, twisted ways that, that have hurt people and twisted ways that you wish would, that no one would ever find out about. And for, and for this reason, God is in opposition to you. God is opposed to you. But in reality, if you were to really admit it, you're opposed to his rule in your life as well. But God, through the power and grace of his son, or of his spirit, he sent his son in order to die for us so that we could be united to him again so that he would not be at odds with us anymore. And now he calls all men and all women everywhere to repent and be baptized. Be baptized and respond to him. He's, he's taken down the wall on his side so that we can come to him. And the question is, are you gonna take down the wall on your side so that you can respond? Because when you do that, you'll receive forgiveness for your sins. 
You will experience the Holy Spirit afresh. You will gain a new task of witnessing to the world this joyful salvation that you found, this joyful satisfaction that you found, this satisfaction that you were looking for beforehand could never find, but now you can. You can tell the world that the satisfaction that they run to is the very thing they're actually running from and they need to turn and repent because the coming judgment is coming and we need them to be on the right side of God's love and mercy. That's preaching. And I don't know, maybe we don't do enough of that at Sedaris. But that is preaching. These are the checklists that that we invite you to critique us upon. Please, if you came up to me and said, hey, Ryan, today you just wounded us. You didn't heal us. I'd have to repent in dust and ashes before you. I would. This is the checklist that we are faithful to here at Sedaris. Church, this is why we preach the way that we do. Peter's sermon was long. We preached long sermons here at Sedaris. Peter's sermon, I mean, Peter wasn't even that funny or have great illustrations. That's kind of a bonus. That's kind of a bonus. Peter didn't have a lot of piecemealed applications either, you know. But this is, this is preaching. This is how we define preaching. This is why we preach the way we do. If you still struggle with this, please come up to Dave and I. We'd love to have a conversation with you about that. We've had that conversation a couple handfuls of time. Dave probably more because he's been here longer, but... We're more than happy to continue having that conversation over and over as many times as it takes. All right, and this leaves us with how can we participate with preaching? How can we participate with it? Um, Luke records in his Gospel of Luke, Jesus, uh, Jesus taught a parable of a sower. And in this parable, he said that, that God was a sower. He likened God to a sower who was scattering seed on his property that he may grow, um, grow crops. Some of it scattered on a path, some on the rocks, some on the weeds, but some on the good soil. And only the stuff on the good soil actually produced fruit. And afterwards, his disciples were really confused and they're kind of all alone in the house. And they said, hey, Jesus, what was that all about? And Jesus told them. But then he also gave them an illustration right on the heels of that that was designed to help them understand how they could position themselves to be that good soil. To be that good soil. And we're going to throw it up here. It goes like this. No one after lighting a lamp covers it, Jesus said, with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, we've all heard the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. This is not what Jesus is saying in this use of it at this point. He said that he did make that point in, in Matthew chapter 5, but he's using the same picture to say something else, all right? So hide your little light right now, okay? And he says this. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. Be careful how you listen, Jesus says. Be careful. Because God is revealing the mysteries of the gospel to humanity through preaching. I don't know why he's chosen it to do that way, but along with Apostle Paul, we can just see, and we have 2,000 more years of history than Apostle Paul has, we can just see that it's pleasing him to do it that way. 
And that's why we're doing it. Be careful how you listen. God wants to reveal his gospel to you and he wants it to to go into the good soil of your heart. Are you sitting in the spirit under preaching or are you standing over it? That's the question that we should all wrestle with as Christians. Are you sitting under it or are you standing over it? Because this has moved powerfully throughout all of church history. And to the point, we, we don't preach because you just kinda should preach. We don't go to listen to preaching because you just dot, 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 kinda should. We go because preaching forms our hearts and it forms our lives. It has the ability to cut us open and apply the spirit to the areas of our lives that we need it applied. That's why we preach, that's what it's for. If you were to go to the next 52 weeks the next 52 Sundays, faithfully go and hear a sermon preached with the church, your life would be changed. Take a journal with you, document that with you, because what you're gonna find is, it does wound, you're gonna find more and more of your own sin, but you're gonna also find more and more comfort for the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls the comforter. Preaching is formative, and this is a petition to lean into it and sit under the Spirit. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we can't believe that you have chosen to pour out your spirit on us because we are so sinful and so rebellious at different points and in different seasons of our lives and we can even point to our weeks and, and point to different ways that, that, that we have disagreed with you on your assessment of Jesus as exemplified in our actions, Lord. We can't believe that you would come upon us, open us up so that you could comfort us. I pray that you would just take your word that was preached, God, and that you would help it find the good soil in our hearts. I pray that you would continue to grow us through preaching, God, and I just thank you for my friends that they do represent the minority of society, of this crooked generation, God, that that refuses to go to church, that refuses to sit under preaching. These people are a blessing to my life. We've seen your word land in the good soil powerfully within them, and so we pray that you would continue to do that here at Sedaris. We thank you, and we love you. Amen.